0: Alright, I thought we'd start singing um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind Uh, I'll sing first and uh, maybe the guys can sing with me and the ladies can meet. Try that. Um, Hosanna! I see the King of Glory coming on a cloud of fire. The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. I see the King of Glory. To find the, whole earth is, the whole earth is. I see His love and mercy. I see His love and mercy, washing over all our sin, washing over all our sin. The people sing. The people sing. The people. Sing. I see a generation rising up to take their place, rising up to take their place with selfless faith, with selfless faith, with selfless faith. I see His love and mercy Washing over all our sin, washing over all our sin. The people sing, the people sing This one's, uh, this one's called Center. Really simple words. So I think it'll be good for the good for the beach. And I'm gonna use the pages. There we go. Okay. This one, the words are just, uh, "Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives." And um, kind of what we're about as a, a church. A church isn't a building. A church is just a new covenant of believers that uh, call Jesus Christ their Savior. Oh, Christ. you hold everything together and turn your eyes upon Jesus last time.
1: Let me read uh, real quickly Amos chapter 9 and uh, I'm not particularly sure why I wanted to pick this today but I think it's bound to fit something uh, something touched me and is what I'm trying to say and uh, we'll get to it eventually I'm sure Amos chapter 9 I saw the Lord standing by the altar and he said strike the doorposts that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all I will slay the last of them with the sword He who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. Though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it shall slay them. I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. The Lord of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell there mourn, all of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. He who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Caphtor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say the calamity shall not overtake nor comfort us. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does this thing. Behold the days are coming says the Lord when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God faithful and true is the Lord God to the people of Israel and to all of the people who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus. We have no fear when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, one more time I'd like to stop and just praise you, just give you the praise that you are due. What a beautiful afternoon, the breeze, the the warm weather, the blue sky, the green trees everything is so perfect that comes from your hand and everything is balanced so wonderfully we thank you for that let us just give you the praise that you're due O heavenly and holy and most glorious father in the exalted name of your son our lord and savior jesus christ amen all right as you can see we're back into the summer winds and i've got to have uh, paper clips holding down the pages so i might get a little distracted as i'm turning the pages today i apologize for that but today we are going to be talking about Genesis eight twenty through 9, 7. And this is a new dispensation, government. When Abraham was asked to demonstrate his faith in a tangible way, does anybody know what he did? What was he asked to do? Sacrifice the son. Build an altar and sacrifice your son. When Jacob was leaving the land of Canaan for the very last time, what was it that he did? Once again, he sacrificed to God. When the Israelites were in Egypt, what was the reason that they gave to Pharaoh for needing to go out into the wilderness? Right, it was to provide sacrifices to God. After receiving the law, they spent almost an entire year at the base of Mount Sinai, building a tabernacle and receiving the instructions for worship, for sacrifice, and how to live within the community of believers. When they entered the promised land and as soon as they had established a foothold at Jericho and Ai, what was it that they did? They went to Mount Ebal and they built an offer and they offered burnt offerings to the Lord. When they returned from captivity and even before they had laid the foundation of the temple, what did the Israelites do? It says right here in chapter three of Ezra. And when the seventh month had come, then the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren arose and built the altar of God to Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer offerings to the Lord although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. And today, many thousands of years later, the Jewish people are preparing for a new temple. But above all, they are preparing for sacrifices to be offered on an altar. The temple is coming, there's no doubt about it. Revelation 11 tells us this, but even before it's built, they will be making offerings on an altar where the temple will stand. It is understood from the earliest times of man, even until today, that sacrifice is necessary when we approach God. The effectiveness of the sacrifices is a completely separate issue. But the fact that they are made by the people of the earth is universally recognized as a requirement of a relationship with our creator. Noah was a man of faith and he was a faithful man. He understood God in a way that brought him near to his creator, even when the rest of the world had been destroyed. Included in his faith were demonstrations of that faith. He preached to the people of the pre-flood world about righteousness and about judgment to come. He built an ark when there was no ocean in sight. He gathered and stored up food when the world was eating and drinking the abundance that comes from the ground. And after the trial of the flood, Noah continued to demonstrate faith as we're going to see today. In our opening verse, Genesis 8, 20, and lasting until God's promise to Abraham way out in Genesis chapter 12, God will work with man under a governmental type of framework. This is the third of seven types of workings between God and man. We call them dispensations. And it leads to our text verse today, which is Romans 1 through seven. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, Fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor. May God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought of the day is gratitude and promises. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, in our last sermon last week, we saw that that was the first day of the first month of the year. This is the exact same day that Ezra offered his sacrifices on the altar they had built even before the temple had been built in Jerusalem. And as I said last week, it is also the exact same day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born in a little town called Bethlehem. So the first day of the first month of the creation calendar or the first day of the seventh month of the redemption calendar is a very important day in biblical history. And right here in this verse was the first time that the Bible mentions the word altar. Instead of building a house for himself, Noah offers to God. He prepares a spot to meet, to give thanks to, and to give glory to God. Later in the Bible, we will read these words in Haggai after the return of the Israelites from captivity and after the time that Ezra had started those sacrifices. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. By this time, the Israelites had started those sacrifices that I mentioned from Ezra, but they had lost the heart in completing the work of building the temple. One thing that I noticed as I was traveling around America back in 2010 is that most of the older towns in the land, The oldest building in that town and the one that was most centrally located was the church. Towns were built around the church and centered on the faith and the mode of the worship of the people who settled there. When the Mayflower pulled up to the shore of America in 1620, the first thing that they did was to write and agree to the Mayflower Compact and then to set a cross on the shore of the land. And I want you all to know that this is the only only the second nation in human history to be established on a covenant with God. The first one is Israel at Mount Sinai. And what happened is God established a covenant with the people. In America, when the Mayflower Compact was written, they wrote a covenant from the people to God, making certain promises. And as we're going to see in the Mayflower Compact, this included every ordinance, every constitution, everything that would come after that. So it pertains to everything that we do as human beings in America today. In the name of God, amen. We, whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God and advancements of the Christian faith in honor of our King and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually. In the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue heretofore to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience." America was established in order to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God and how far we have fallen from that precept in modern America. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the first thing that is built when a modern town is established is either a shopping mall or a sports arena. Churches are now built on the outskirts of towns and instead of being places of intimate worship, praise, confession, humility, and the in-depth preaching of God's word, they are now social events. There is a high value on providing coffee, creature comforts, and easy listening sermons, and there is a lack of discipline in the Christian life. This is the state of walking with God today. The sanctity and reverence for the altar is a secondary thought, not the first obligation of the purchased and redeemed soul, which necessitated the death of Jesus Christ on a cross but Noah first built an altar a place for sacrifice now whether earlier offerings in the Bible included altars or not is not mentioned the reason that altar is mentioned now is because the earth was completely swept clean by the flood and the garden of Eden was gone with it The Lord is now on high and his presence is withdrawn from the earth and it will not return to dwell again until the time of Moses when the tabernacle is built. And so so because of this, the altar is used to burn sacrifices, which will symbolically lift the smoke on high to his dwelling place. And we get our word altar from the Latin word. It's the word altus, which means high or elevated. Noah was at the top of the mountains of Ararat and the smoke of his offerings would ascend even higher. When this altar was built, it was built to Jehovah and not just simply to God. Jehovah is the Lord. He is the covenant keeping God who has proven himself true to the promise that he made to Noah. And because of this, Noah offered of every clean animal and of every clean bird. By offering from the complete set of these animals and birds, it was a demonstration of his thanksgiving for his complete deliverance. And in this passage, the term ola is used for a burn offering. This offering is completely burned up on the altar. When an offering like this is made, it is asking God to accept the offering as a substitute for the life of the person who is offering it and asking for the mercy of God. The fire and the burning in that offering symbolize exactly that, the acknowledgement that what is deserved by the offerer is the lake of fire. The animal is given as a picture of this, and Noah offered it because his life was granted to him in the midst of the death of all of the earth around him. This and all of the other offerings and sacrifices in the rest of the entire Bible point to the one thing, to the work of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews explains these things and it shows how they point right to his final sacrifice. In the end, Jesus is the only one who can rescue us from the hell that we rightly deserve. And this is Noah's acknowledgement to God as he's making this offering. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. It says here that the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. God does not have a nose, but the Lord Jesus Christ does. There are two ways that we can look at this verse. The first is that the eternal Christ, Jesus, who is the sovereign Lord of both the Old and the New Testaments, somehow actually smelled this offering and all the other offerings that are mentioned throughout the Bible, and he enjoyed the smell. The other explanation is that it is an offering of faith by Noah. In this flame and in this smoke is the entire essence of this animal, which is being returned to God who gave it. When Noah made this offering of faith, his very heart of gratitude is ascending with the offering. Everything tied up in the gratitude then goes along with it as well. The thanks, the feelings of protection he received, the anticipation of a future which is promised, all of this ascends to the Lord and is therefore a soothing aroma to him. Now, the question is, how can we know if this is the correct interpretation? All we need to do is to compare it to other offerings in the Bible which were not accepted. There are many, many examples of them, but we're gonna look at just one from the book of Jeremiah. It says here, Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people. The fruit of their thoughts because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. The same type of offerings are accepted or they are rejected based on the attitude of the people, not just on the type of the animal that's being offered. If the fruit of our thoughts is evil, then the offering is considered that way by God. We saw this in the account of Cain's offering all the way back in chapter 4 of Genesis. And even though we are only a part way into today's sermon, the idea of an offering of faith leads us to the end goal of that faith, the work of Jesus Christ. So we would be remiss if we didn't bring in the true and the final sacrifice which God bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Paul writes about it. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. God sent his son to live the life that we cannot live and then he gave that life up as a substitute for our own. And when we call on Jesus Christ as Lord and savior, we are transferring our sin and our guilt to Jesus. His death then is just that same sweet smelling aroma to God, which is seen all the way back in Noah's sacrifice. Our very heart of gratitude is flowing to God through the death of his own son, Jesus Christ. The problem with us is that too often we begin to take for granted the very sacrifice that was made. We tire of our walk. We skip church, we skip Bible study, we pick up old habits and we tread back into the waters of disobedience. In essence, we begin to show contempt for the very sacrifice which saved us and which brought us close to God. Why don't we, just right now, why don't we just take a moment and pray that our hearts will be renewed in Christ just as they were on the day that God first accepted us. Heavenly Father, here we are, each one of us is in our different state of our walk with you but every one of us is either moving forward or we're sliding back. There is no stationary ground with you and forgive us where we have slidden back on whatever area of our Christian walk that we are failing at and give us strength and give us courage and give us a renewed hope and a sense of direction in our walk that you will be glorified through it. And we ask these things that you alone will be exalted through them in the glorious and exalted name of the final and the only acceptable sacrifice in human history that of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior hallelujah and amen Noah's faithful sacrifice was accepted and God promised to never again curse the earth even though as it says the imagination of his heart is evil from his youth right at that very moment in history Noah was the priest and he was the representative of his family and everyone who would come after him. Because God accepted his offering, he graciously transferred that acceptance to the rest of us who come after Noah. In doing so, God promised to never again destroy the earth and every living thing as he had done before. The world will never again be destroyed by flood. And one of the questions that I've been asked many times, I've even been asked it right out here when I do my little Bible studies, is then why do we keep having floods on this earth that kill people and the answer is obvious it's right here in the text God only promised no more global floods which would destroy all of the life on earth the way of the world the localized calamities which occur and judgment on sin will continue but it will never happen again in a worldwide flood things will continue on in a constant fashion henceforth that brings us to verse 22 While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. While the earth remains appears to mean that the earth will not always last forever. And I gotta tell you, this is a very confusing subject in the Bible. And there are a lot of people who will argue verse against verse as to whether the earth will always be here or not. But we are not at the end of all things. And so we can't really be too big headed about our opinions of that matter. But even if the earth does last forever, it may not be in the exact same state that it's in now. And so no promise would be violated by God either way in this. One thing is for sure though, whether the earth lasts forever, but has a big major makeover, or whether the earth is a goner at some point in the future. Until whichever happens, God has promised that things will continue on as they have. There will always be seed time, there will always be harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night. These things are so regular and they are so predictable that people have built wondrous, wondrous monuments around the world to the precision of God's handiwork. We have Stonehenge. We've got pyramids all around the world. We've got cave drawings where the sun will shine in at exact time during the year and it'll illuminate a part of that cave drawing through a little hole in the wall. Even our modern scientific equipment and the star charts that we use All of these are testaments to the splendid precision of what God has done. Every single morning I get up, every morning, and I walk out into my backyard and I take a picture as the sun is rising. And I can go to my computer before I do that and I'll type in the word sunrise Sarasota and up pops a little thing that tells me the exact moment that it's gonna happen. So I don't need to waste any time. I just simply look there and then I walk out and click, take my photo. And that is how precise and how beautiful God's handiwork is. And then what I do, I paste it on Facebook and I paste it on a page here and I have people all around the world that get to enjoy Siesta Key sunrises every single day because of how gracious and beautiful our God is in giving us these beautiful sunrises that other people can't enjoy. We know exactly also when to plant our crops. We know when we should reap. We know just the right time to get up into the attic and get out our long johns and we know just the right time to put those long johns away and pull out our swimming suits ski shops know exactly when to pull out the new line of snowboards and the shops in florida know exactly when the tourists are going to come down which they're here right now and they're going to spend a lot of money buying all kinds of crummy souvenirs that will end up very soon in the landfills around the world and along with us even the animals have a sense of when to do the things they do bears hibernate birds and butterflies they migrate moose get into their annual ruts Dog shed, love bug swarm, coming soon to Siesta Key near you. All of these things happen at exactly their right time at the appointed season by God. And even more than that, plants, which don't have any brain at all, know when to flower. They know when to put out these beautiful flowers that smell so wonderful. The grass knows when to sprout its seeds. The oaks, as we have seen here in Siesta Key in the past month and a half, drop their leaves and then they put out their pollen, which Tom loves so very much. And the almond tree has its nuts ready at just the right time. Everything is balanced so beautifully and so wonderfully that man is ready at just the right time to experience all of these things which come directly from the mind and the wisdom of God who purposed them for us. And we even know when to get out our bows and arrows and our rifles and do a little hunting. And that brings us to our second thought today, which is tasty treats. Here we are, this verse is starting chapter nine of the book of Genesis. And in a beautiful display of God's love for the people of the world, we come to the comforting verses, words of verse one. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. When God blessed these men of the earth, it was certainly a physical blessing, but it may have also been a spiritual blessing that was pronounced upon them too but this does not necessarily transfer beyond them. God bless Noah and his sons, and it doesn't really go beyond them. And I say this because in the coming verses, we're going to see, I believe it's next week, that one of the sons is going to act in a displeasing way towards his father, and Noah is going to call down a curse on his son's son instead of directly cursing his own son. As the Bible records elsewhere, how shall I curse? whom God has not cursed. And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? God had already blessed the son of Noah. And so he couldn't curse him for what he did. Cursing the son who had been blessed by the Lord would be a tragic mistake. And so he curses the son's son instead. The blessing is upon these four though, and they are told to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And this is a repetition of the original command given to man all the way back in chapter one of Genesis. The modern concept of cutting back on population growth is not just unbiblical, it is anti-biblical. God has ordained that man multiply, not abort. We are instructed to fill the earth, not worship the earth. And that is what God expects of us. In fact, when I typed this, I was so excited about those beautiful words that I posted them on Facebook so that everybody knows that we are to multiply. We are not to abort. Verse two, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. In Genesis chapter one, man was given dominion over the creatures of the earth. And this same dominion continues after the flood and the title of them belongs to man. They are at our disposal and they are meant for our use. But a new aspect of this relationship comes about after the flood. The fear and the dread of man is going to come on every beast and we know that's true. This does not mean, however, that we won't get eaten by lions if we go off to Africa. So if you go to the Serengeti plain, make sure you take along a good long rifle to protect you. What it does mean is that the horse has no idea how strong he is in comparison to the puny little rider that's on his back who's beating him as he goes around the second turn of the Preakness. God hides this knowledge from him and he gives him a fear of this little jockey so that despite his immense power, he remains in submission to this little weakling. And animals of prey like the tiger and the lion cannot really be domesticated and they will still run in terror when man is near unless Siegfried and Roy are around, and then it is lunchtime. The only animal in the world, does anybody know what the only animal in the world that actively hunts man is? The polar bear, very good. It is the only animal on earth that actively hunts man, but they are no match to a well-oiled rifle or a few Eskimos who know how to hunt and kill with their spears. What was lost in this loving relationship and this friendship between the ant and the mantle the man and the animal before the flood is made up for man's, by man's wisdom and his skill after the flood. (laughs) Verse three, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. I got to tell you, I like this verse. This is one of the verses that I enjoy every single day, day after day. I like hamburgers. I like lamb cutlet. I like lamb chops, I like pork chops, I like bacon and ham and sausage, and I like bologna. I love lobsters. And if crabs weren't so difficult to get the meat out of and they weren't so messy, I'd like them a lot more too. Venison is tasty, and who doesn't like chicken and turkey? This verse is pretty clear here. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So I'd like to ask, alligator tail soup, anybody? Until the time of the law of Moses, There was no, not a one prohibition concerning what we could or could not eat as human beings. The Mosaic law was introduced to the people of Israel. That means the people of Israel, the Jewish people, not to the church. Now there simply is not enough time for me to cite all of the verses that tell us that the law of Moses is over and done with. But the book of Hebrews says it explicitly several times. The setting aside of the prohibition against eating certain foods is so clear and it is so detailed in the New Testament that only someone who has been brainwashed can overlook the truth of this matter. And if you struggle with this particular issue, don't. What I'd like you to do is just simply email me and I can give you page after page about your freedom in Christ. We have all types of freedom and dietary restrictions are not included we can eat anything we want and that includes ostrich burgers if it flies in the skies if it treads on the earth if it slithers through the grass if it burrows deep into the ground if it swims in the seas God has ordained that you can have it for dinner and if you cook it in a curry sauce and you can invite me to your house as well please so get your special sauces together and prepare for a banquet of tasty treats of all type and bon appetit Verse four, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is its blood. When the early church was facing all types of legalism and the Judaizers who were coming in and telling them what they could and could not eat, they, or that they had to be set, uh, circumcised or telling them that they had to observe certain feasts or certain festivals or a Sabbath day. A council was called in Jerusalem. It's found in Acts chapter 15, by the way. Among the distinguished members of this council were the apostles Paul and Peter and James the Lord's brother and other apostles and elders. The questions included things like what do we do and how do we instruct the Gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ? What can they eat? What can't they eat? What do they have to do and why? And their conclusion is so simple and it is so concise that really, and I mean this, only an imbecile could get it wrong and yet denominations all over the Christian world blow it the letter is short it's only a couple of paragraphs but the conclusion of the matter is right there at the very end for all who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior here it is for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols from blood from things strangled and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourself from these, you do well. The Holy Spirit was pleased to levy on them four necessary things. Let's go through them again. Two, abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now clearly, since then, because that was very early in church history, the letters of the apostles, which make up the rest of the New Testament, have to be considered, and they need to be applied to our lives. But nothing that they wrote Nothing contradicts that early decision, especially concerning what can and cannot be eaten. Paul later clarifies the things about those things that are sacrificed to idols, and he and the other apostles speak in detail about sexual immorality. Beyond this, though, things strangled has its own context in which to be considered, and the drinking of blood is forbidden because it predates the law of Moses, and it's explained in the things that we're looking at. The blood contains the life. It's explained again later in the book of Leviticus and it adds just a little bit of information. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. We are not to drink blood because God is the source of life. The shedding of blood then is the end of that life. When a sacrificial animal was killed, then the life of that animal, its blood was used for the atonement of the person who was doing the sacrificing. When Jesus shed his blood, it was for our atonement. God does not want us attempting an end around what he has done and what he has ordained by drinking the blood of an animal to somehow gain its life force when we are given complete and absolute restored life in Jesus Christ. But the drinking of blood for this purpose has absolutely nothing to do with blood transfusions. And I say that because there are cults which don't allow blood transfusions. But this completely abuses the intent of what the Bible is saying. The preservation of life through a blood transfusion is in a completely different category than what is attempted in drinking blood. So I would say vampires, no, donors, yes. And that brings us to our third thought today, the value of human life. Verse 5, surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he has made man. This here is an eternal standard set down by God man was created in God's image and therefore to shed man's blood brings about a forfeiture of the blood of the one who shed that blood, whether it is an animal that does it or another man, they are to be killed. In fact, as I've said before, Numbers 35:33 says that atonement can't be made for the land which is polluted by bloodshed except by the blood of him who shed it. And because man is created in God's image, and because the Bible gives the unborn the same rights as those who are born, the curse of abortion in a land is one of the gravest offenses that can be committed against God. There can be no atonement for the shed blood of abortion except by the termination of the life of the person who commits that abortion. And unfortunately, that's illegal in America, and so we are... Keeping up sins in this land because of these murders of these unborn children. And because this is a political issue, the guilt transfers to the political supporters of abortion. They are actively working against God in order to terminate life that is created in his own image. And even more unfortunately for an entire political movement, those that elect those who support abortion do not are not held guiltless in the process either. And this may seem trivial when you walk into a voting booth, but when you vote for an abortion supporting candidate at any level of the political spectrum, you are implicitly involved in the murder of God's image bearer and you bear the guilt of that blood. You need to think this through before you cast your votes because God demands a reckoning of the life of his image bearers and he will demand it from you. And one more point about this verse, it says, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. If someone commits murder, the Bible does not ask us to look at his childhood and determine what made him do it. It doesn't ask us to look at his social standing or whether he was drunk or on pain meds. It says very clearly that a murderer is to be put to death. This predates the law of Moses and it is based on an attack against another bearer of God's image. People who stand outside of state executions with their little dumb signs that say, thou shalt not kill, are not showing compassion. They're showing contempt for God. Verse seven, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. We finish up today with this verse right here. God repeats his mandate to Noah to be fruitful and multiply. The beauty of children and an earth full of God's people created in his image must be a delight to his heart. He created because he is love and because love is his very nature. How pleased he must be when his creation returns that love to him in praise and in worship and in adoration. He asks us to bring forth abundantly in the earth and to multiply in it. Children, as the Psalms say, are a heritage from the Lord. And we bring him honor when we get married, have children, and bring them up in the knowledge of the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Noah built an altar, he built it to the Lord, thanking God for bringing him to a restful shore. He offered of every clean animal and of every clean bird and to the heavens did his precious offering soar. The Lord smelled the aroma that the sacrifice did make And in his heart, he made a promise to all men. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although there is evil in his heart as if inscribed with a pen. The imagination of man is evil from his youth, but I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. I make this vow, the God of perfect truth, and I will keep it until the end of time has come. While earth remains, the cycles will work just right. Through seed time and harvest and in cold and in heat, through winter and in summer and in day and in night, these things will not cease but will faithfully repeat. And God blessed Noah and his sons with him too. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This is what I ask of you. Fill it with those who are made in the likeness of God. Fill the whole world wherever foot may trod. And the fear of you and the dread of you will fill every beast. It will be in them all from the greatest to the least. Every bird of the air and all that moves on the earth and the fish of the sea as well will be the dread of you. They are given into your hand for food and for mirth. So enjoy the tasty treats. Snack on anything from the zoo. Everything is food for you even as the garden greens. But do not eat the flesh with blood. This is forbidden you. If you want... Mix the meat with potatoes and some beans, but first drain out the blood. This is what you are to do. For your lifeblood, a reckoning I will demand from the hand of every beast and also from that of man. Anyone who kills someone in all the land, that one's blood shall be shed. This is your game plan. Man bears my image, the very image of God. Therefore, in holiness on my earth, you shall trod. Bring forth and multiply this again I say to you bring forth abundantly throughout all the land. Multiply, I say again, it is what I am instructing you and your seed will flourish just as I have planned. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this beautiful afternoon. Thank you for the man of faith, Noah, and what he did by remembering to sacrifice first and then to go and build a home and give us that same heart and desire in our own lives is that when we get up in the morning that we will offer you the sacrifice of praise. And as we walk along life's highway and we smell a beautiful flower, let us offer praise another sacrifice of praise and when we see a child smiling let us just thank you for that gift and for every other good and precious gift you give us help us to remember that you are worthy of the praise for giving us the joy of that moment thank you god we love you we praise you all glory all honor all majesty belong to you alone in jesus christ name i pray amen, amen.